Okay, so you're cool with Faber dying childbirth, but not reason dying by June. Hold on, okay, hold on. Because that bitch was going to die anyway as a human, okay? So, like, any extra years she gets. Those are free? Like, these are bonus years, okay? <laughs> like, this is bonus time. You're reading Between the Lines with Cece and Bex. I'm Cece. And I'm Bex. And today we're diving into book two of the Akatar series, A Court of Mist and Fury. We're walking into this with the intention of chatting like we've known you forever and discussing all things bookish, fanfic, and conspiracy theory about whatever it is we're reading together. We're going full on nerd here, including our Akatar version of Kill Fuck Mary. And if you want to support the show, we're on Patreon, PayPal, and we invite you to join our Between the Lines communities on Discord, Facebook, Reddit, and Imager. Now, whatever it is you're doing as you join us, feel welcome, and let's get into the goods. So welcome back. This is part two uh, of A Court of Mist and Fury. This book is so big and so full of action that we felt like we couldn't fit everything we wanted to talk about into just one episode. So we did split it up into two parts. We chose a mess of topics to guide us through all we wanted to chat about. So we are now going into the second half here. So if you have not listened to part one of A Court of Mist and Fury, get on it. (laughs) So for this episode and every episode that we do, expect us to go off onto tangents and down rabbit holes as we navigate the beauty of Sarah J. Moss's writings. Okay, friends, you've reached the point of no returns for spoilers and even more cursing. So please, we beg of you, if you haven't read Acromath, pause this and binge the book like a responsible adult. We're not doing a rereading of the book here. We're discussing all the hot moments and our favorite things about the characters. So don't say we didn't warn you. All the spoilers lie ahead. And remember, Cece has not read any of the other books. I have only read A Court of Thorns and Roses, and now, of course, A A Court of Mist and Fury. Okay, let's talk Supporting Actress Award. Cece, what you got? Obviously, supporting friends, supporting the fight, supporting the book, basically, Amran. She is awesome. That whole fight where the adder guys are flying in and stuff, and she literally like fears them to death. Like, (laughs) I was so scared. I was like, I get why Resan is absolutely terrified of her. Oh, yeah. I I believe, if I'm not mistaken, she made them believe (laughs) that they were farther away from the ground than they actually were. And they, came like flying straight down and just crunched and splattered upon the ground. Like that (laughs) is terrifying. And the fact that Amarin can withhold (laughs) her, um, her powers and her anger at other Fae (laughs) and other people, she has amazing control. I think she's a fantastic Fae. Okay, here we go. Um, With her dark power, she had spun illusions straight into the soldiers' minds. They believed they had fallen into the Sidra and were drowning. They believed they were flying a thousand feet above and had dived fast and swift for the city, only to find the street mere feet away and the crunch of their skulls. So, yeah. And then the crueler ones, the wickedest ones, she had unleashed their own nightmares upon them until they died from terror, their hearts giving out. Literally. Can you imagine? Heart attack in the sky. (laughs) That is terrifying. (laughs) Jesus. She is fearsome. Mm -hmm. Fearsome. And I love it because she, they describe her as such like a tiny package. Mm -hmm. And obviously she is second in power in the high court of the night court. I love that scene where what's his face from the summer court? I can't remember his name. Varian. Varian? Was it Varian? Varian. Mm-hmm. When he sent her the the necklace of diamonds and blood rubies. Yeah. And I like when Feyre sees her later in her room and the necklace was like on her nightstand by the bed. And she said that it looked like she had looked at it until she fell asleep. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. Yeah. It's like a little human piece of her because we've got 
this mythical being essentially who is serving second in command and favor doesn't know does she drink human blood is she a vampire you know and favor wants to befriend her but she's also weary about her and it just we get told over and over again amarin is not human amarin is not human and then we get these human pieces of her which I just love to see throughout. You know me, humanize someone to me real good. I'll give it to them. Oh, she's a monster. I'm just going to make her my best friend. Just a lovable monster, you guys. And let me tell you, that is not someone that I would want as my enemy. (laughs) That is for sure. Absolutely not. Hell no. And can we talk about for a second, we love Amron. Obviously, we love more. My supporting actress in this second book is the feminist points that are made throughout. And SJM is phenomenal at stringing these through. I can't remember whether it's this series or if it's her TOG series. And one of them, she has men that take the tonic for birth control. Hell yeah. Can we get that in real life though, guys? Like what are the scientists working on these days? Okay. Like what what sounds safer to you? Wearing a bulletproof vest? Or unloading the gun. Right. I'm just saying, like, I can only get pregnant like five days out of the month, but a man can impregnate as many women as he, you know, could stand to throughout the day, any day, all day, every day. Wow. Yeah. So SJM's really good about putting these feminist points in. And so we see here that Reeson has made his number one and his number two women. And we know what Amarin's power is. And I know we talked about Moore a little bit before, but we don't really get to see what Moore's power is. We do get the statement that she makes in front of the Queens where she says, I am the Morgan. And it's the article that makes it here. Mm-hmm. I am the Morgan. And you know that my power is the truth, which is just really interesting because... A little bit of foreshadowing for us there that her power may be the truth, but is she reckoning with the truth in her real life with her Cassian Azrael love triangle she's got going on? Definitely not. No, and I think Moore's heart seems to be somewhere else, and I can't put my finger on it. Mm. She seems to really be pushing pretty much everybody away romantically. Right. I think that she was broken. So I mean whether it was her family or someone else, I just feel like more is she seems like someone who has loved and doesn't want to love again. Mm-hmm. So I feel like she's done with it. And not necessarily yeah. that she doesn't love Azriel or Cassian, just that it's not worth it to her anymore for some reason. And I'm I, I hope we get to find out a little bit more about more. <laughs> A little extra. Yeah. And just reminding everybody listening once again that Cece has not read the rest of the story. So she doesn't have Moore's full package as everybody else does. Um, But you're right. I respect about Moore that she explains after what happened between her and Cassian that she just knew that she couldn't do that to the inner circle and couldn't come between those three guys, which not a lot of women would do. Believe me, like given, given the option to come in and destroy three hot guys just for the hell of it. There's a lot of women that would take them up on that. And I mean, 17, 18 year old me, most deaf would have found that entertaining. Most I think what you're trying deaf. to tell us here that uh, 17, 18 year old Bex was a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> I made questionable choices. I wasn't a horrible person, believe me. I was, um, what's our theme here today? Acting for the greater good. It was just the my greater, greater good. You know? And, you know, when I was in my teens, I dated a few bad boys and then decided that I didn't like the way that went down. So I was going to flip it on them and show men what was up. There you go. Don't worry. It came back for me. Karma always does. But, <laughs> but back to the feminist point. So we got our two women that are our second in command mm-hmm. here in the court. And I just want to say again about Moore's power. I like the sentence where Reese says something along the lines of Moore is who he will call in when Cass and Az yeah. are dead. Mm-hmm. And so it just makes you think, whoa, either she's got some kind of power that can only be used in extreme circumstance because it's not common, mm-hmm. right? It's not Cassian as his brute strength. Mm -hmm. It's clearly not Reese's night powers. She comes from the court of nightmares. So she could have Reese's night powers. She doesn't. And she doesn't have 
otherworldly talents like Amron, but it's something that he wouldn't unleash unless he was utterly desperate and in his last moment, essentially. Yeah. And I believe he said something similar about Amron when Favor asked him about her and he said he would unleash Amron and then ask. Yeah. And he would hope that he'd be dead first. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm like, okay, girl, like you, you get off, like, go ahead. Like, but can you, can you make sure I'm not there for it? Like, <laughs> I don't want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> So love that. Love that. And I also love when um, we see the boys go to the Illyrian war camp and they're fighting for women's right to train. That is so completely off kilter for me. Like, I did not think that that was an issue for them at all. I know that there's sexism. And I think that she kind of made a point of it when she said that there are no high ladies. They don't exist. And so it kind of set that precedent of... Men are on the top of the food chain, period. That's it. There's so when they went to the war camps, I guess it didn't really surprise me that women weren't really allowed to be with the men and fight and stuff like that. Yeah. But I didn't think it was so strained. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe it was not common or like it just wasn't done in certain areas or whatever. I didn't know it was like on the whole yeah. and none of them could. And if and they, they clip all of their wings. Okay. Mm. And I'm sorry, that sounds a little bit like when they call it yeah. genitalia. Yeah. Genitalia mutilation. It's circumcision. Yeah. The mutilation. It's exactly like exactly what popped up in my head. Yeah. Was genital mutilation, which was horrifying, obviously. But no, yeah. Them coming in there and be like, no, you're going to train them. We don't care. We'll whoop your ass if you don't. (laughs) Yeah. It was super awesome. Yeah. And I love, you know, I think if I were a writer, I would be tempted to create an ideal world where like women were in charge, you know, but I enjoy that we we see this bit here and obviously most of her audience is going to be female. And so it speaks to the majority of her readers, but also Mm -hmm. that even in this fantasy world, things are not perfect. And I enjoy that because I think when we start to things, think that things are perfect, then we start grading them on the scale of perfectionism that just doesn't exist in anybody's reality and and often Mm -hmm. not in anybody's fantasy. So thank you very much, SJM. And we'll see more of her feminist points in the next few books for everyone's enjoyment. And I like it a lot. And if you haven't read Throne of Glass and you enjoy her feminist ways here, you should go and read it because it's badass. So now I think we should move on from a moral high ground to being dirty and horrible. Is that smut? (laughs) Is that smut I smell? Have you seen the bookmarks that have like Jesus poking his head around the corner and it says, is that smut? (laughs) And I'm like, I need one of those. I need it so bad. Somebody send me one. It'd be great. Yeah. Let's talk about the smut. All right. So who, Bex, are you missing? Who are you committing the right with and who are you gonna mate with yeah yeah so this is our version of kill fuck mary that hopefully if you listen to the first episode you know we have renamed aquatar themed missed right mate so i'm missing and i'm hoping that we don't have the same people like last time. No, we did. Last, time <laughs> we, crazy. last episode, we had some limited characters to choose from. We both chose to miss Nesta just because she was annoying the shit out of us oh, and based purely only on the first book. So again, we are missed right mating based solely on book one and two here, not on the whole series. So nobody get their panties in a wad. I want to miss Kier. Yes. That dude can just fall the hell right over. Kier is <laughs> Moore's dad, and he is hardcore viewing women as transactional. He treats his own daughter like shit. And he's just like this little runt of a man that Reason allows to run the night court, the court of nightmares, when he's not there. And he's just the fucking worst. And when Reese broke his arm and broke his bones, and I was just like, yeah, that's what you get. So if I could go in and miss anybody like right now, I feel like the King of Highburn, obviously too, too obvious. What do I not want book three? Obviously I want book three. So <laughs> no, like at more won't let Az kill him. More won't let Cassian kill him. More won't kill him himself. I would kill him for you more. There you go. What about you? Real sister What you got? Uh, well, one, I do want to say, I really loved it when the same scene where Reason went down there and he was basically like, shoo shoo, get off my throne. 
Bye-bye. I'm like, you're you're done. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So my mist is pretty obvious. I am the Ugh, she's the worst. First of all, ew. Okay. I hate people who force ideas and social practices and stuff on people. It's disgusting. Like let Favorite have her fucking wedding. Let her let her wear pants to her wedding. Leave her alone. Yeah. And pantsuits at weddings are super cute anyway. Oh yeah. But also she is after my man and I am not okay with it. Mm. Bye-bye. Mm. Bye. Bye. Okay. Leave Lucian alone. He doesn't like Ooh, you. You are gonna okay? hate the beginning of book yeah. three. You're gonna hate it. <laughs> book three is coming for you. We have to finish this episode so you can just shut it off and go read. Thank you. Like I've only been waiting like four days. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Plus. Okay, so who are you writing with? I mean, she's only the most gorgeous in the series. So I chose more. No, <laughs> did you choose more? Yes. Ah, uh, we did. both were like, okay. yeah, we'd sex it up with the more again. And you know what? She'd probably tell you if it was good or not. She probably would. 100%. I mean, you don't live 500 years without A, testing the waters and B, knowing some shit. Mad truth. You know? Mad truth. And I mean, yeah. picturing her blonde in this red dress every time, you know, every time they describe her dress is just in like this super elegant blonde red situation mm-hmm. but with like the golden skin and i'm like you know you know that she like feels like velvet yes go ahead girl oh my god <laughs> is that too much i'm sorry guys no, i'm I was, sorry guys <laughs> i was thinking set uh, oh, or, or um oh what is that what is that fabric that she is always talking about in the damn book um gossamer gossamer, gossamer. gossamer. this is gossamer this should be gossamer. Gossamer. gossamer i don't know what the fuck gossamer is <laughs> but they obviously have a surplus in the fey world okay you you need to go back to third grade you must have been sick on the day that they pulled all the girls aside and explained what gossamer and tool was <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay. So yeah. we, I love that we did that. That's awesome. We matched well, on more again. It was, and I was just want to repeat for everybody that we did not compare notes beforehand. And I've read the whole series, but Cece has not. So her feelings for more are genuine. Take that. Mm. I need more, 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 more. Of more. Again. Mm. more. Okay. People are gonna and <laughs> while we would have a, a wonderful romp in the hay, I think ultimately, I feel like I would want to make Cassian. Tell me why. It's hard to explain. I feel like he's tough. Mm-hmm. He's a bit of a protector, mm-hmm. but he's fun. Yep, he's fun. He has a sad backstory, which makes me want to fix him and love him forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, just when he said that to Nesta, when they were there meeting with the queens, and he was like, if I die protecting the people who need it most... <laughs> Yeah. I, you just give me a heart gas. I'm like, oh my God, I love you so much. I just feel like yes. he would, he has such good morals and, and he's such a lighthearted person. I would make the crap out of Cassian. So did it break your heart when they're in front of the cauldron and Nesta's going in and out mm-hmm. about Cass struggling to like, at the sound of Nesta screaming, he's like trying to bring his head up. Okay. I cried. I cried. Okay. Aww, like, no, oh, you stop. <laughs> I got, good. I got tears on my Kindle. <laughs> I was, it was really sad. The whole situation and the, the wings and stuff. Like I just, I fell to pieces. So yeah. But what about, you know what I like about Cass? My favorite scene probably with him in this book was when Feyre was punching the gloves and her hands caught on fire and she like punched through and Cass was like there for her, ready to catch the next one mm-hmm. if she just needed to keep going. Oh, Cass. Well, Cass, Cass. You know, because it's not quite the martyrdom, martyrdom that we have from recent. Yeah. You know, it's just that he's he's your rock. Mm-hmm. Like, you know that he would be there for you and be your rock. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So who's your rock? Who do you want to give a rock to? Who are you rocking with? You know that I want to give my pebble to what is that from what do you give penguins penguins penguins? yeah yes you know I want to give my pebble to Azrael that's oh yeah for sure I just love him and you know there's people who have like all these theories about what happens with Az he will eventually turn out to be a bad guy because of his shadow singerness or that he's gonna turn out to be just terrible like in a love triangle that doesn't work out really well and it'll be his fault or you know just that he can never recover from the damage that's been done to him you know and there's 
no amount, like no woman should be responsible for fixing a man. I totally believe that. But my heart just goes out to him because everybody needs love. That's true. That's true. And everybody, just because you're broken mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you don't deserve love and you shouldn't deserve to try. Mm-hmm. And as long as you treat the person that you're with in a way that's consensual and they agree to, then, you know, they can have their dark moments and that sort of thing. But I want him to find his like dark lady that understands his shadows and his darkness mm-hmm. and I know he like pines after more, but and more has got her things and it's just not going to work out between him, him and more, you know, yeah. is the, the theory that goes. So I just want that happiness for him. And, you know, I'm just available if he were a real person. No, I'm not. I'm like happily married with a child, <laughs> but just saying my, I would mate with Azrael because again, I also think he would do anything to protect mm-hmm. and to take care of the person he's with. But I also don't think he would abuse that kind of power. Right. That he would be there for them. And he's he's got a bit of martyrdom that Reeson has mm-hmm. and that he volunteers himself to be first mm-hmm. to do all the shitty work. And it's probably because he doesn't think his life is worth much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he and Reese have that in common. There's some people that theorize that Reese and Azriel are, are actually related. And that's like a deep, deep thread. But anyway, okay, I've rambled enough. <laughs> I'm mating Azriel. Oh, well, no, it's fine. And, and I think that... Favor kind of makes his point for him, which is she feels like, I believe it was towards the beginning of the book, when she killed those two Fae, she's like, I know I have high Fae, like I have the Fae lifespan, but I don't know if there's enough eternity to fix me. Yeah. But Feyre has love and I think Azriel deserves the same. Yeah. yeah, he's broken. Yeah, he's hurt. Yeah, he was com- horribly abused. But I'm I'm with you. He absolutely deserves some kind of love and light in his life. And thank goodness he has Cassian and more in Rhysand and now Feyre. Mm-hmm. So he does have some sort of love and support system, even with Amran. <laughs> um, even with so- Amran. That's true. And let's not forget he has the biggest wingspan. Yeah, he do. <laughs> Dude, I saw a picture on Instagram that somebody posted a feature set up in a Barnes and Noble out in Colorado. And it was like they had this calendar or this book about birds. And the title of the book was Wingspan. And next to it, they had a quart of thorns and roses. (laughs) And somebody captioned it like, give the manager of this Barnes and Noble a raise. That's hilarious. (laughs) It made my day. It made my day. Okay. So now we're going to move into moments we love from the series. And we're just going to pick our favorite ones. Cece, you go first. I like the scene with the bone carver. He was super creepy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. That was, that was good. So they go to see the bone carver to get some info to trade some truthiness there back and forth. And I love this scene because Feyre comes to grips with what she did. Mm-hmm. She voiced it. She put it out there. It was almost like truth is such a big deal in these books. Yeah. But the serial and more truth from Feyre and the truth that Tamlin and Lucian hid from her. And now we have the bone carver. Like there's so much truthiness going on. Yeah. yeah. It's almost as if like once you say it out loud, you have to recognize it. Exactly. Like if it, It's been in her head this whole time. Mm-hmm. It's not like we haven't seen it, you know, because we're, we're reading her perspective. So we've been seeing her thoughts, but now she's voiced it out loud mm-hmm. and that somehow makes it more real. Yeah, it, I think it, it makes it tangible in a, in a sense because the, the words are out there and at least two fae, one fae and one weird creature that I'm pretty sure is not Faye. Uh, He's super scary though. So she sees him as a young boy with dark hair and I believe blue eyes. Mm -hmm. And Rhysan sees him as Jury. Mm -hmm. These two things are very weird to me. It feels like he shapeshifts or is seen as something to someone on purpose. This is a very intentional creature. He likes the games, mm-hmm. but they're intentional games. It's it's not to it's not a farce. He appeared yeah. as Jurian for a reason. He appeared as a young boy to Pharaoh for a reason. I think that the young boy is either her future son with Rhysand mm. or it is a young Rhysand. Some kind of some kind of connection to Reese. He looks way too much like him for me. Jurian, though, mm-hmm. that was a difficult one. I wasn't sure if 
Maybe it's just saying like a warning. This is your future. He's coming. They've already made him, you know, whatever it is. It it wasn't very clear to me why Rhysan sees him as Jurian, but uh, I believe it was more of like a, like a prediction on his part. Mm. I've seen people say that they think maybe the bone carver shows you, reveals to you the thing that will kill you, right? So he's the carver of death. I don't want Jorin to kill Rhysand. No. Uh, no. Does that break your heart? That's bullshit. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> okay. You think that's sad, but what about the little boy? Okay. Well, maybe she doesn't dies in childbirth or something like that's okay so you're cool with favor dying in childbirth but not reason to die by your okay hold on because that bitch was gonna die anyway as a human okay so like any extra years she gets those are free like these are bonus years okay <laughs> like this is bonus time all right you're, you're already rolling the dice here baby <laughs> so we see him with his door yeah love that he carves these doors don't know what that's about Pretty sure he's just bored as hell. He's been down there for like thousands of years. So, you know, but super cool. And I really want to see the visual of that. So if they ever do show, movie, whatever, like I need to see these images. Well, she is in, in works with Hulu right now on the series. So one of these days, maybe we'll get them. I'm all about it. I need it. I need the visual and I need all these sexy men too. The other thing is, I don't know if I misread it or if I just don't know either way that it's going, or I'm sure you may know, but when they go to leave and the bone carver tells Feyre, I'm going to carve your death into this bone. I wasn't sure if he meant the death with Amarantha or her future death. Ooh. You know, the worm came from under the mountain. He thought it was really cool. He asked about her death under the mountain. Yeah. So I wasn't sure which way he meant to go with that. It would be very ominous if it was her future death. It would be like really creepy and weird and obsessive if it was her old death, you know. But again, (laughs) he's bored. So, you know. Well, I'll go ahead and ruin it for you. You don't find out. But that is not a thought that occurred to me. So interesting. Interesting. So that is. That is my moment. That's my dude. That's, I think he's super creepy. Yes. Okay. Well, you like the bone carver and I like the weaver scene because the weaver scene sufficiently creeps me out. Like holy creeps me out. I just imagine creeping up to this cottage that looks great from far away. It's like your typical Thomas Kincaid, Bob Ross situation. And then you like, walk up and you realize that the door is like made of toenails or something is disgusting. I was just creeped out the entire time. I know the door is not made of toenails, but <laughs> it you know what I'm saying? It definitely felt like a Hansel and Gretel kind of situation. Yes. It's very gross. And so you go in and we have this creepy figure sitting with her back to us and she's in this gray sheath dress with the black hair. I'm getting memories of like the ring as a child. And I didn't sleep for weeks after I saw the ring. And so this is what I'm picturing. And of course she uses youth to like maintain her beauty and that slenderness, but going into this and hearing the song, I knew just like everything SJM does with her naming and her inputting of these little hints of other cultures and things that this had to be based on something. And I thought when I hear Weaver, I immediately think of the fates Mm -hmm. from Greek mythology. It's the three sisters. One of them weaves the soul. One of them measures the length of the thread. And then one of them cuts. And so this isn't exactly that, you know, we don't have the Greek part. So I did some Googling because I had to figure it out. And of course, we have a figure not from our Celtic mythology, not from our Western mythology, but from our Eastern mythology, because the weaver is based on a character called Baba Yaga. And so I'm going to read to you exactly what it is so I don't mess it up. But Baba Yaga is one of the most infamous entities in Eastern European mythology. Originally, she was an ancient Slav goddess of death and regeneration, the mother of Koshi, the deathless. She is described to be a deformed, grotesque hag who lives in a hut that stands on chicken legs. Baba Yaga is morally ambiguous, as in some versions of Russian literature, she is a child eater, and in other versions, she helps a man find his bribe. So Baba Yaga manifests as the weaver in our Akatar series, 
And like Baba Yaga, the weaver is the goddess of death. They both live in a hut in the forest. These beings were both worshipped and feared by groups of people. And the weaver is morally ambiguous, as those who enter her domain almost always perish, whether they're good or bad. Furthermore, the weaver is referred to as one of the old gods, which subtly references Eastern European mythology. However, Baba Yaga is immortal, and we'll see what happens to the weaver later in the book, but you get the gist. And so we'll even learn the the weaver's name in the next book and we'll address it when we get there. But I love that it's based on something. I've heard of Baba Yaga before. I thought it was really interesting when you said she would help men find their brides or a man find his bride. As we find out, Farah retrieved her own wedding ring from the hut (laughs) at Rysen's behest. Oh, I didn't even put that together. We find out things together. (laughs) Thank you for pointing it out. Work it out. (laughs) Oh, this is why we do it. We think other people are going to listen, but really it's just for our own edification. There you go. We have Princess Diana and Weaver the Matchmaker. Mm, mm. And of course, we can't go through talking about the Weaver without talking about her song that she sings, which is creepy AF, Mm -hmm. but I want to note, and I won't read the whole thing, but she starts it with, there were two sisters they went playing to see their father's ship come sailing. And when they came unto the sea brim, the elder did push the younger in. Yes. I immediately was thinking when I reread this, because I'm reading for the second time as you're reading for the first time. Mm -hmm. I knew when I reread this the second time that Nesta eventually goes into the cauldron. Nesta is the older one. And so it's almost kind of like it's flipped on its head. The elder did push the younger in. Mm -hmm. That ultimately, Feyre kind of pushed all of this into motion. I'm not saying that Feyre is the reason that Nesta got pushed in. Correct. But she is the reason that her sisters are involved in this world, Mm -hmm. right? And walk down this path. And so I thought, well, this song likely came from somewhere. SJM probably didn't make it up. So of course I look it up and there is a dedicated Tumblr to this exact thing. So this is from She Could Rattle the Stars if she only dared. If you want to follow her, it's follow to rattle the stars. So she does a one, two, and three part background story into the Weaver of the Woods song. And it's based on an English folk song from a broadside, which is, you know, like a form of media from back in the day, like a newspaper, but it's like a pamphlet. Mm -hmm. So everybody who's been watching Bridgerton knows exactly what a broadside is. And it's from a broadside from 1656. So the song, the, the connection that it has, obviously, is that there's always two sisters. The elder one drowned the younger. The sister's body is then found by a miller who makes a viol, an old musical instrument, out of her dead body. Mm -hmm. And then when the instrument is made, the instrument itself tells the miller and the audience that her parents are a king and queen and that her sister was the one that drowned her. And so we see that this is the exact song and the song is called The Miller and the King's Daughter. Okay. I honestly, like, I'm, I feel so sick right now. <laughs> Why? Like, just thinking about it. Oh, okay, good. I thought you meant like... Uh, no, not like legitimately, but like, oh, uh, like I just got this horrible sinking feeling in my stomach thinking about all the parts he takes from her to make the violin it just like ugh. oh no it's gross like it just kind of made me sick to my stomach it's super gross so to rattle the stars summary about her theories on this are threefold One, that this story could have already happened. The weaver is singing about events in the past. Mm -hmm. Or two, that it will happen. The weaver, who we know very little about other than she's powerful and old, has some way of seeing into the future. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that's what she weaves, the future, another type of magic. Or third, a combo of the above. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of theories going around that time is stuck in in like a loop and is cyclical in this series. Yes. And they use a lot of, you know, it's made and unmade, made and unmade, like calls to like, like calls to like, and it's this mm-hmm. cycle. And so I just think it's really interesting. If you read her whole post, she's got like a whole theory about what women in the story it could refer to in her first guests, other than the Archeron sisters, Arnwala and Sarah Joyn. I'm like, oh, I'd love a little side story for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sad. One of them drowned, yeah. you know, a sister or whatever, but still. <laughs> anyway, it's creepy. And then Feyre goes up the chimney and gets covered in fat grease from human bodies. And then even worse, she lands on a thatched roof of hair and the hair 
get stuck to the fat. And it was so disgusting. SJM did a fabulous job of making me hate it. And I loved it because I hated it. hundred <laughs> percent. Like I was terrified for her. Uh, I'm with you. I saw kind of the ring swamp woman almost uh, when she described her eyes as basically being rotted away. I just, it was so sickening. And then to have that moment of, oh shit, she heard me. Oh, I was so scared. And then the door closes. <laughs> so it didn't have a handle anymore. Yeah. So she was able to like change shit in her home like that. Yeah. You know, which is super scary. And so she's dashing up the chimney. And I love that moment where she goes, oh yeah, I'm super strong. I almost forgot. And like <laughs> starts like bashing it. Uh, that was really cool. That realization that Feyre had. Yeah. Because you're, you're so shocked. You're so scared you're so rushed you know you you panic yeah so she panicked but she reeled it back in and she goes you know what i'm a thing now and i'm super strong and fuck this crazy bitch below me i'm gonna throw a brick at her (laughs) 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 and escapes and that that truth was disgusting and i feel like maybe she was really pissed at resan for making her go get this i mean i know it was kind of necessary and I'm sure Feyre did too, but <laughs> I think she may have lost a little trust with Rhysan. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to be said that he put her in a dangerous situation. But as he says, when she comes out, that she learned to help herself. Exactly. And again, like, what are we morally compassing Rhysan on here, guys? Like, which book would you like to morally compass him on? Uh, it can't be done. <laughs> well, thankfully, I believe that situation probably did help Feyre, especially later down the line when the battle of the city happens. What did you, what did you, what did you the say the battle was The siege of Valaris. The siege of Valaris happens and Feyre goes mad dog on everybody. <laughs> it obviously helped out later. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, she went ham on the adder and I loved that moment when she like seized him in the sky and even like shut Reeson out. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, I got this. She did not care. She does not have time for this. I feel like there's a part of me that if she couldn't win out, I think she would have died with the adder. Yeah. She didn't give up. But, and I was there with you, girl. Yeah, it was her turn. I was there for it. I was there for it. Almost kind of like the moment when when Reeson decided he was going to sacrifice himself when he went under the mountain. He didn't tell yeah. his circle. He shut them out. He went to do this big thing that he knew would make a difference. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of like lost sight of his greater good that he's constantly, you know, fighting for because he keeps a leash on that control most of the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Feyre definitely lost it. Even shut Reeson out. And just went after him one-on-one and finally got vengeance for all that was done. Especially to Claire. We know how much she was tormented by the nightmares she had about him. I mean, about her and the adder. So I love it. It was wonderful. It's a great moment. We know SJM can write violence really well. And that one was wonderfully done. I agree. And I... Also had something from that scene that I wanted to read. And and mostly for the actual wording Mm -hmm. for the actual text here. I just absolutely loved the way she described it. The scene confused me at first. And then I realized who it was. And it was just such a terrifying moment. (laughs) And it really went to the severity of this attack. Yeah. So I, of course... Am speaking about our poor queen, one of the two good ones. I believe the other one was also probably good from what she told them that, you know, she wasn't actually ill. <laughs> so she was also probably going against the queen's wishes. So when the Adder dudes, the soldiers, drop her on the lamppost yeah. and impale her, it is so beautifully written. So let me just jump. Go ahead, girl. Break out the so gospel. Break it A wet, crunching thud. Shit, Cassian said. Shit. He moved a step, and I lunged from under him to see what it was, who it was. Blood shone on the white marble bridge, sparkling like rubies in the sun. There, on one of those towering, elegant lampposts, flanking the bridge. Her body was bent, her back arched on the impact, as if she were in the throes of passion. Her golden hair had been shorn to the skull, her golden eyes had been plucked out. She was twitching where she had been impaled on the post, the metal pole straight through her slim torso, 
gore clinging to the metal above her. <laughs> oh, yeah. She can paint Gross. a picture. Bro, like, it took me a second to realize it was the queen. And I, it was so funny because I said out loud, I was like, shit. <laughs> Just like asking. <laughs> so her eyes being plucked out, her golden hair, you know, her basically being scalped. I mean, this woman was tortured well before she was killed. Yeah. Horribly, I imagine. And at the behest of her little queen sister friends or whatever, I feel like she was so much one of them, one of the people who want to see the change and were willing to sacrifice. Yeah. She knew the other queen was not ill. She knew that what she was doing was costing her life. Yeah. So that martyrdom, that sacrifice that is in Reason, that's in Pharaoh, that's in Hezreel and Cassian, like all of these people who are willing to give for the greater good (laughs) to make the world a better place. And I don't think anyone so far sacrificed so directly right for this cause more than this queen right she is a blip in this book she's only in it a couple of times i know we're probably never gonna see her again but i think she gave up the most willingly mm-hmm. out of anybody she absolutely 100 knew she was going to die there was no way out of it and she did it anyway well if not by the adder then by her by the other queen correct because she betrayed the queens correct so yeah you're absolutely right the queen the queen move was it was hard to read but it was It was necessary, you know, and it was good. Here's this episode's commercial, written and directed by none other than the best. Get a little tea in your cup, a little tea in your cup, a little tea in your cup. The hot tea's ready right now. When you need info and answers to go, forget the chicken bones, bring the high lord's glow. Catch us in the wood under any old tree. Looking like death, come to serve the hot tea. Antidotes and riddles, mating bonds too. The world's a better place when we dish it to you. Oh, look, you caught us such consistency. The cereal tea company we're the cereal tea company so speaking of things that are hard to read and moments you you love and hate how about our moment we love to hate which is basically the last few chapters of the book in highburn with the king and the cauldron and fucking jorian Jurial and everything that goes on there. So it's really hard to get through, obviously, because we have Asriel with a bolt through his chest and it's got poison on it. And so nobody can move against the king because he'll move the poison to Asriel's heart from the get go. And I'm mad, obviously, when Jurian shows up. And so, but you, you assume that something bad's going to happen, right? Obviously Mm -hmm. they're not going to sneak in and get out unscathed, just like they couldn't get out of the water temple in the summer court that was hiding the book. And so we expected something to happen. So Jurian, okay. I was expecting this. We'd got the breadcrumbs that Jurian was coming, Mm -hmm. that he'd been resurrected, not totally unexpected. You know what was unexpected though? And tell me how you felt when your boy Lulu rocked up there having betrayed Prithian just to get favor back. Why do you, why do you have to start with my boy? Why do you have to, why do you have to I just boy? remember okay. reading this and going like the very first time I read this, I went, no, he did not. Oh, he did not. Out loud. I was just like, oh, I can't say I audibly gasped. I was, I gasped. It was the ultimate betrayal. A hundred. There's like so many things. He could have infiltrated the night court. I wouldn't have been shocked by that. He could have like sent in another Daimati to like fight Reason. He could have kidnapped Pharaoh right back from something else. I don't know, but I was not expecting Or, or let's try this. They could have left her the hell alone. Leave her alone. What? No. They don't want to go with you. Yeah, but I just, I wasn't expecting him to go so far as to lo- align himself with the King of Hybern. No, absolutely not. I would like to say uh, one thing for 
your reference to the summer court earlier, anyone who has played um, the legend of Zelda, fuck the water temple. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> that's, that's for you guys. <laughs> fuck the water temple. Um, <laughs> it's, it's never good. Never ends well. Um, second of all, I believe SJM went, Hmm. How much stuff can I fit in like two scenes? Just, just shoved everything in there all at once. And I was like, this book is big enough. <laughs> Why did you have to put everything right there? Like it was absolutely insane. I, I had to stop reading. I think it does a really good job of making the inner circle feel powerless. Like we've just mm-hmm. built up the inner circle all book. We're learning how powerful Amrin is, how mm-hmm. terrifying more must be to come in after Cass and As, and how strong Cass and As are. And then obviously mm-hmm. our good high Lord of the night court is the most powerful high Lord in all of Prithian history. Mm-hmm. Oh, but except for the King of Hybern. And so she like, it's really intense and it's really close together, but I think mm-hmm. it like, strikes a chord of how fragile everything is and kind of mm-hmm. hits you with like, oh, actually the night court's an underdog story. Yeah, in a way. And I think it really lends to any kind of good versus evil story, which wants good's greatest weakness and greatest strength. At the same time, it's love. Mm-hmm. They don't move on the King of Hybern. I think they could have taken him. I think they could have taken Durian, but they weren't going to take them on with Asriel in, in danger like that. Yeah, they weren't going to sacrifice As. Exactly. Asriel would sacrifice himself. 100% but he would. they would not sacrifice him. So I think that, again, good people who, who want good things for the world and for themselves and whatever, their greatest strength and their greatest weakness is love. And if the evil or the bad or whatever guy can exploit that, they're going to. And it's going to stop you in your tracks. So yeah. it is an underdog story. They are fighting, you know, people who are thousands of years old and, you know, who can stop their magic and who have the cauldron. And, you know, there are a lot of factors. And they've got the spell mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how did you feel when the sisters came out? <laughs> I always was like, these bitches. <laughs> Fucking queens. These no, guys No, no, the, not the sisters. The queens. Oh, yeah. Compl- like, you want to talk about a betrayal. Like, how dumb do you have to be? We're, okay. Well, Lucian and Tamlin were really dumb. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, real dumb. Really dumb. They're real dumb. But like, if you're not going to trust any Faye, like you're not going to mm-hmm. trust Reeson because he's some terrible person, mm-hmm. you're really going to sell out your entire race for immortality. The thing that you're against anyway. They're selfish. They've had, okay, God. so they've been completely cut off from regular people yeah they're queens they've been living the high life oh we have all the riches we could ever want you know so what's what's left yeah that's true is eternity that's all that they can they're ambitious and obviously not all of them but i think on some level they knew it i think that they knew that the queen's weren't going to fully be on their side. Mm-hmm. I think that's why Resan was so determined. And I mm-hmm. think that's why he got so desperate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why he gave up the city because it was, like I said, a desperate effort. He knew that they weren't going to be on their side wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. I don't think he thought Jurian was going to be the emissary and, yeah. you know, get their way ahead of him. But uh, then bringing out the sisters... It was like, oh, hold up. <laughs> I had to stop reading. I really, really did. Even Tamlin and Lucian were like, hold, hold, hold on, wait a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. This wasn't what we agreed did to. Did you not think that the evil person was going to do evil things? Right? <laughs> Get out of here, Tamlin. Uh, he's blinded. He's completely blinded. And it's not even his mate. Yep. How does that happen? I know. And then he shreds Cassian's wings. And the description about shredding the wings, it's just really hard to like, because, you know, we've gotten the sensitivity info earlier mm-hmm. and how sensitive they are. And Reese will say that, you know, like Illyrian males would rather die than not ever fly again mm-hmm. or to have their wings ruined. And so, you know, exactly how painful it must be not only for Cass to be shredded, but for Reese and Azrael to witness and know that he might not ever come back from that. Yeah. And breaking him down physically is one thing, but I, I'm with you. The mental and emotional toll it's going to take. I don't think that there will be a way for them to redo the wings. Like maybe like a cauldron thing, but I mean, that seems a little far-fetched at this point. So I'm guessing 
that Cassie never gets his wings back. I hope he does. I really, really, really hope he does. But he can be grounded with me. That's cool. He can just stay on the ground with me. <laughs> That's fine. You know, but yes, Lucian and Tamlin were horrible, but it did create a wonderful situation where Feyre got to show off her acting skills. Yeah, our girl Feyre came through. It was really impressive. And I just kept hearing her in my head. Like, um, what what did you do to me, Rhysand? Like, oh my God, <laughs> Tamlin, I see the light. Like, take me home. And also, <laughs> let's, let's leave this place together. <laughs> it just... <laughs> Movie laugh. I read it really difficultly. Like I was all empathizing with recent and thinking about the bond being severed. And he's saying no about the bond. Like that's what people think he's talking about. But I think he's also kind of arguing with Feyre. Like, no, don't do this. Yeah. This isn't the way. And, you know, she's yelling at him mind to mind. Like, this is the only way. Get them out. I've brought down the wards. Get out of here. Heal the boys. And I'm going to destroy these motherfuckers from the inside. And so you hear him say no. And I just, oh, it breaks my heart. It broke my heart. Even though I knew I had gathered that they were going to break the bargain and not the mating bond, it still was really hard to read. And well, I mean, I thankfully, the way I read it too, I thought it was the bargain as well. So maybe she didn't really make that very clear. Mm -hmm. I mean, they kept saying the bond, which I'm mating bond. Like, yeah. Maybe I probably just didn't read it the right way, but I guess ultimately I did. Yeah, you did. Because <laughs> I, I did think that it was, that it was their bargain, the tattoos yeah. and all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, going on. I think that they are both very, very secure in their love for one another, even though it was actually a pretty short amount of time that they were together. But trauma bonding will, will push you down that tunnel real quick. Like every trauma is like five years. <laughs> <laughs> like you get five years out of it. It's like dog years for trauma bonding. All the bonus years. So I think that he said no, and he really didn't want it to happen, but he knows she's capable now. He knows that yeah. she's strong enough. That's true. And that she has that strong will and they have that strong bond. And they're both willing to give up their love and to give up their lives for say it with me, everyone. The, the greater, greater good, good. <laughs> of course and obviously she's not going to like go somewhere where she's going to be tortured right you know but tamlin by all means wants to do her right and and love her so it's not like she's going into a situation that's going to harm her physically and you're right she is strong enough and it's always been pointed out throughout the book that it's Feyre's choice reason's not going to make her do anything he's not going to let her do anything mm -hmm. she lives her own life she's choosing what she's going to do and he stands by that like this is her choice he could have fought her tooth and nail and refused to let her go and he didn't and i think with him being able to do stuff to people's minds and control people and erase stuff and what have you. He, I think, enjoys letting Farah choose her way and make those decisions. It, it almost kind of gives him life in a sense, you know, when you spend your entire life being able to manipulate the people around you. And controlling, yeah. To have those true, real connections with people like Feyre and the Inner Circle mean more to him than anything. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously seeing the sisters go in was hard to read, especially Elaine that you see is like really frail and kind of like this little mm -hmm. part. But what really annoyed me about this whole scene is when she's like a drowned river cat and Lucian looks at her and goes, you're my mate. And I'm just like, uh, please not right now, Lucian. We're very busy. Like what? Keep it to yourself, son. First of all, keep it to yourself. You know how I feel. But two, the timing was awful. The statement was blunt. Yeah. It was completely unromantic. It was not so, like the, the subtleties between Feyre and Rhysand was the splashes here and there of their love and, you know, the ultimate story of him knowing that it was her the whole time, but letting her live her life and he wanted her to choose him, you know, and then just flip to Lucian being like, Hey. <laughs> hey guys, hey, you're my mate. Hey person who <laughs> just totally got dipped into like the inky darkness of eternity. Yeah, you've just been traumatized beyond <laughs> all recognition. Do you want to be my girlfriend? Like, yeah, oh, and by the way, you're engaged to another dude. Like, what the fuck? 
fuck, bro? But, you know, I think obviously, obviously SJM did this on purpose. Okay. And we're going to revisit this mating bond in the third book. Okay. And it maybe isn't going to be as magical as everybody else. And so, okay. like, the way that it comes about and how out of place it is just foreshadows okay. how that's going to extrapolate in the third book. It felt really awkward. And honestly. And there's a reason. <laughs> honestly, I thought Elaine was going to die. Because mm. they kept saying the strong willed. And I was like, okay, Nessa be all right. She she'll be fine. That's like, true. Nessa yeah. coming out of that cauldron and she might be bringing something with her. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so um, but Elaine, I was I was actually worried she was she wasn't gonna come out of the cauldron. Yeah. Or yeah. she was gonna come out. Well, I'm interested to hear your take on her once we finish book three. So heard. moving on from this terrible scene, we've got some facts and figures for everyone. So just like last time, our wonderful goddess SJM loves to throw in historical references. And I just want to reference two cities right off the bat that we visit in the night court, which are Illyria and Valaris. If you Google the word Valaris, uh, I love it because it comes up as a Latin term for a cover or a veil. Ah, it's been the hidden city for so long. Yeah. Very clever. If we see what you did there. And then for Illyria, what's really funny to me about Illyria is that I was just watching the Amanda Bynes masterpiece, She's, She's the, the Man, featuring Channing Tatum, who man. goes to a school called Illyria, and it's like written all over the soccer team jerseys and stuff. And I was looking at it like, wait a damn minute. And so I Google it. And of course, Illyria in classical antiquity was a region in the western part of the Balkan Peninsula inhabited by numerous tribes of people collectively known as the Illyrians and uh, they're like an Indo-European group but basically thinking about the Croatia, Albania, Montenegro part of Eastern Europe. So I love that she has these references to things that we vaguely know about. Mm -hmm. I have heard of Illyria before but I couldn't quite place it but she uses it in the story here. Mm -hmm. So it's great. And then obviously she's got her Celtic references. Yeah. The Morrigan is a famous Celtic goddess, warrior goddess. And we will do a whole episode on just more and all the theories that surround her. But also Reeson's name. Reeson, if you Google it in Welsh, means enthusiasm, which is hilarious to me <laughs> that she chose to name the High Lord of the Night Court enthusiasm. And speaking of Welsh things. Yes. Speaking of Welsh things, uh, let's hit up the cauldron. I just really wanted to see where the connection was. I know that cauldrons are associated with witches yep. uh, and magic. Obviously there's magic in Prithian in this world that we have, but I thought it was odd to pair a cauldron with Faye. It seemed not random, but just a little off. Mm -hmm. When I started researching them, you get kind of the basic stuff. Obviously, people used to cook their food in cauldrons. They would either hang them by chains um, above their hearth or sit it on top of the fire and, you know, let it boil there, what have you. Again, obviously associated with witches. So that's all pretty common knowledge. Mm -hmm. A lot of people associate cauldrons with the womb, with the goddess, with maternity and, and women yeah so the birthing of the world making a new giving life we've got the womb we've got the cauldron yeah sure so looked a little bit deeper into welsh literature and we have what is called the pair de denny or cauldron of rebirth and it's a magical cauldron that's able to resurrect the dead and i was like yo <laughs> I think I've heard of this before. Mm -hmm. Arian. <laughs> so nice. There's a lot of magical cauldrons in Welsh mythology for some reason. Mm -hmm. I guess they like to eat. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so in the in the Chronicles of Pridane by Lloyd Lloyd Alexander, uh, there's another cauldron that is similar to the Peridani, and it exists to create undead warriors. Yo. Yeah, exactly. So that one is based off of the Peridani. So they would take the dead soldiers, put them in the cauldron. They would lose their souls, but they would be able to go back into battle. So that kind of, we, here we go, a little jury in here, right. obviously, um, but also making soldiers, putting the sisters into the cauldron to make them stronger, mm -hmm. be soldiers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't, I mean, Pharaoh was made 
with the High Lords. The sisters are made by going into the cauldron. And I'm really interested to see if there's a difference with their making. Right. If it affects the sisters in a different way than it does Feyre. Right. So I really hope that there is a difference. I think that would be like super cool. Uh, but if there isn't, it's okay. I totally forgive you, SJM. No problem. <laughs> she won't let you down. She won't let you down. I can promise you that. <clears throat> this particular cauldron eventually ended up in the plot of a book that some people may know as the Black Cauldron. How Hello, mm-hmm. which of mm-hmm. course also inspires the Disney movie, The Black Cauldron, mm. uh, which again, we have the king, the evil zombie looking king guy or whatever, making undead soldiers with the yep. cauldron. So lots of dead to life birthing. Uh, so very much on par with our big bad cauldron that we've got here in a court of thorns and roses yeah badass okay and then like we ended last time what do you hope happens in book three so i hope that no one else finds out that they're a mate (laughs) (laughs) like i thought it was rare sjm like calm down (laughs) okay (laughs) no one else finds out that they're a mate in the third book Mm -hmm. and i hope mm, i hope we see something really brutal and violent and crazy again from Amarin. I need more Amarin violence in my life. I like it. I like it. I think you might get your wish. Yay! So that's our overview episode on Echomath. It's now time for you to go enjoy the beauty that is A Court of Wings and Ruin. It's my personal favorite. I hope you super enjoy it. Come back, have some laughs with us. And in the meantime, don't forget to read Between the Lines with Cece and Bex. Bex.